Isaiah Roby news dropped later after we recorded this show, so we do not talk about that. Alex and I will talk about that on Wednesday. And then also, Michele's internet goes in and out during the first portion of this podcast. So, two things to be aware of. Thanks so much for listening. Happy 4th. Enjoy the show. And I'm down and dunk. This is Lee Dort, and I'm down to Dort. I'm Josh Giddy, and I'm down to dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Darius Basley, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala, and I'm down to dunk. This is Poku, and I'm down to dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cracklin' Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these? I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most of them. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Slack. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, as always, actually, rarely on Sundays. We used to do Sunday pods quite often, but yeah, not so much these days. Uh, McKelly Barra. McKelly, what's up? Well, everything is wrong at the Barra Mansion. Uh, connection is terrible. <laughs> I am forced in my bedroom, which is not the best place to record. So it will be an adventure. Um, well, hey, I, there's a rumor we'll going around that now that Lou Dort has a lot more money, he is trying to sabotage things for you because he knows that oh. you're, you're the Dort hater. And he's just, this is him just saying in your face, McKelly, because now I've got as much money as I could I- ever want. And I'm going to ruin the internet connection so this so this guy in Italy cannot trash me anymore. Well, he could have told me we could have reached like an arrangement. I could sell my opinion on Dort for um, like a stable line. Uh, no, I was about to to say that that contract actually looks better than what it is, and yeah. to defend Dort wow. against uh, what happened in the low post where he said that it is like, wow, mm-hmm. look at what uh, whoever took from Houston and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like the Dort deal seems enormous and it actually is big. It's big. Um, but we don't know. I don't think we know yet. No, no one's released right? the details uh, yet. Sorry. To... Yeah, no one's released yeah. the details yet. So, so it can very well be, hey, it's four years plus one that is uh, either... Uh, non-guaranteed or um, a team option. I don't see uh, a player option there. And it may very well be full of incentives. Now, it's fair that those incentives are huge, uh, but maybe it's a million per year. That doesn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And if you s- account for the fact that the last year would probably be 20 millions, um, and you have an extra three millions that are not guaranteed unless you reach certain thresholds, then this contract looked like a 64 for four, which is not a terrible deal for a 20 years, 23 years old guy uh, who proved to be a very good defender in the playoffs and improved steadily for three seasons in a row in terms of free throw percentage and three point percentage. This is actually, I think, what we had in mind as, hey, if it's under 16, that's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. I I I don't think it's a value contract for Dort. Uh, if 
if you want to view it as an overpay, I can understand why you would think it is, uh, especially if you if it's just like f- straight five years, eighty seven and a half million. Yeah, that's probably an overpay. Uh, we don't know the contract details yet. Once those come through, I think we'll have a clearer picture as to if it makes it look better or worse or whatever. It's a fine deal for Lou Dort. To me, he's a guy who's proven he can be a rotation player in the playoffs. It's great. If you lock him up, there's a chance that that this contract looks pretty good in a few years, especially with the rising cap. And then if Dort improves from here, it's great. If he doesn't improve from here, it's a fine deal. He's probably slightly overpaid. It's still a flippable deal. You know, that that to me is kind of how I view it. It's a it's a fine deal. There's nothing to be, uh, you know, fired up about on either side, in my opinion. Um, so it's it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I can't I can't act like it's the greatest deal ever. I also think that I want Lou Dort around anyways and giving him a five year yep. deal once once we get to that fourth or fifth year, I think that's where you're going to see the value of the contract if Lou Dort continues to improve. Also, the way they've lined this up is the current rookies will be getting their new contract extensions right before Lou's last year of this deal, which may or may not be an option year. And that could be pretty important, depending on where they are in the life cycle of the team. If two of these guys pop from this class and they're going to have to pay them a lot to have Lou on a mid-tier, low to mid-tier contract in that fifth year, could be pretty important to where this team is at in that year in particular. We're talking about five years, five seasons from now. That it really could be, it's just an interesting time to have a player on an expiring contract who will likely be in your playoff rotation moving into that season where you're going to have to start paying guys. Because a lot of people, when they think about cap space, they think about, well, (coughs) excuse me, signing free agents and bringing people in. For this Thunder team, because they have so many draft picks and they're going to have a lot of valuable picks and they're going to have to pay Shea continue. They're going to have to pay... Lou, obviously, now they're going to have to pay Josh Giddy at some point. They're going to have to pay Chet. And then if anybody else pops, Trey Mann, Usman, J-Dub, anybody, then you have to pay them too. That's when the cap space starts to just start to vanish, right? And that's when it's important to have manageable contracts on the books. And so to lock him up for as long as you can, I think part of the play is like, hey, things are going to get expensive here relatively soon if we're if we get to where we want to go. And so locking Lou up until he's 28 years old, it's fine. It's good. I think that it'll end up looking better as time goes on, especially in the fourth and fifth year, where like the the average starter money is gonna be 25, 26 million. And then you're paying well below yep. market value on a starter. So that's kind of I think that's kind of a good way to view it. Is it a value contract today? No. But could it be later on? Yes. But that's what the value contract is, though. Um, like a contract that may have upside. Um, if you sign him to a contract that has no upside, uh, like I think the Stephen Adams deals, uh, deal, we, we knew in the moment he signed it, that it was not a value contract. That in order for him to, to be a good contract, 
he needed to be an all-star. And it was like probably the, I don't know, 10% outcome of that. In order for Lou to fulfill this contract, he has to be a good starter, which he he is. So yeah. um, I, I also think that this contract carries two very important things um, in him. Mm-hmm. The first one is that the two sides negotiated a deal that was not... Um, uh, how can I say this? It was not needed. Uh, like they could have waited another year. Yeah, they weren't forced to do it. They decided both sides to discuss a contract and come to an agreement that was amenable to both. Because both sides could have said, "Hey, no, this is not what I want to do. You cannot force me into this. I have another year." So I think that this is very important um, because it shows that Lou is probably willing not to test the market and sign what he feels like a little bit less than what he can earn in a yeah. year from now. And from OKC standpoint, they forego the very cheap contract doesn't that to be honest with you, it, it doesn't make any sense for them to pay this year when they have no issues in terms of tax. And to to, to sign a deal that is a little bit over the value that is probably perceived in the league around Ludort. And the second part, which is very important to me, is exactly what you said about uh, the fifth year. Now, if it's a full year, then yeah, it's an expiring contract that you can move easily if you need space. Mm -hmm. But if it's an option, we have seen OKC doing like contract negotiations with guys like uh, Mike Muscala. He was owed 3.5. And they said, okay, we still need you, but at two point whatever okay so with dort it may be the same you had a very good contract uh your value is around that uh let's renegotiate a longer deal maybe de- declining now from 16 17 18 uh and going another four years because mm-hmm. you're crucial for what we want to do but it's like 19 millions doesn't make any sense for us going forward yeah. so i really think that these two aspect of the contract are very very important for okc yeah yeah i totally agree and i don't know um i don't know what what lose future holds with this team to me it it could be about you know holding value in the fifth year it could just be about like maintaining the asset because sam has been really good at that you think back to like the ennis canner deal like he just wanted to maintain the asset. He wasn't like necessarily like, man, we gotta have Ennis Canner on this team. Um, they wanted to maintain the asset, not just let that go. Because you flip Ennis into Mello, flipped into Dennis Schroeder, and you're able to keep that asset going. And I think that you, it could be the same. Those mid-tier assets are easily flippable into something else, because. There's a chance that Dort doesn't fit with what we need here. You know, I think that there's a chance that he does and that we need a point of attack defender and that, that and I've said all of this, but there's also a chance that we get to year two of this contract and it's like, whoa, okay, Dort's a good player, but man, if we don't get some real shooting on the wing, we can't make this work. And Chet is a good enough defender and Shea has turned things around. He's a good enough defender. We really just don't need him, but we could use... A, a better power forward or we could use more shooting or whatever it is then you flip him for something else or if a big time player comes on the market like a Paul George did well the Thunder had Victor Oladipo 
who they had extended, and had Demonis Sabonis. They're able to flip those guys into Paul George. Like, that's another reason why you want to keep these guys around and give them these mid-tier contracts is that you can flip them into something better eventually. And so there's a lot of reasons to do it. It's not just that, oh my gosh, Lou Dort's going to be the third best player on this team. I don't think that. I think Lou Dort's a top eight rotation player. That's that's what I think he's going to be ultimately. And he could be more than that. It's possible he's less than that. But to me, there's just a lot of reasons why you just keep him around. Because if his demand is $20 million and you get him for 17 and a half annually, like you probably just need to lock it up and just be done with it. Uh, and that way you can maintain the asset, keep him around. If he improves, great. If he doesn't, it's, it's a fine contract that you can still flip. And you could eventually maybe turn him into like a big time piece along with other assets. So I think those are the reasons that you do it. Um, other than that, I think it's a mostly meh deal. <laughs> the more I've thought about it and read about it, it's just like, it's not, I don't think any Thunder fan is like parading around saying like, oh, this is such a great deal. What a great deal. Um, it's a, it's a fine deal. It's a fine deal that could look really good down the road, or maybe it doesn't. We just don't know. Today, it's a deal that got done. And I don't think it's going to kill the Thunder's financial flexibility in in any way. So that's where we're at with it. Uh, lots of questions came in from Twitter. Uh, this one from Michael McAfee. Kind of interesting. He's so marked an interview at the when the rookies were introduced. Uh, he said that Mark says that most of the guys align with their values. There being the team. Uh, excluding guys that we don't believe will be on the roster next year. Who are the guys in the program that you think least naturally align with the new brand of Thunder basketball? And why is it Baisley? Uh, I just lost McKelly. This is interesting. I think that we're talking about players that don't quite fit with what the Thunder want to do. Um, maybe that's culturally maybe that's on the court i think darius definitely is one of those guys that theoretically could fit but in some ways doesn't uh his decision making is the one <coughs> excuse me his decision making is the one that you do worry about uh, decisions that he makes with the basketball decisions that he makes um, within the offense yeah i think that he's definitely one that you struggle with a little bit. And then, I mean, Teo Maladone is, he's a fine decision maker. I don't know that he's a great decision maker. I think that he's definitely one. And then everybody else I think is, you know, fits pretty well. And, and maybe Lou is, is one of those guys too. And we're talking about just like decision making and on the court. Like he doesn't quite fit that mold of a player, but I think the the competition level is something that Thunder really look to and and that they really like. So I think that's also a part of it as well. Uh, let's see. Let's go to another question from uh oh at Simon Eat Dog. Uh, he asks, he says, Alex mentioned that report of the Suns organization not prioritizing the draft and having minimal scout minimal scouting department. 
Knowing the Thunder have a heavy emphasis in the draft, do you have any inside knowledge to the depth of scouting, the scouting department, structure, personnel, etc.? I don't know specifics. However, uh, I do know that they they definitely value scouting, international scouting. I mean, I can assure you that especially in non-COVID times that the Thunder have seen all the guys in the draft in person probably for years. Um, you have the guys like J-Dub who kind of pop up later in their college careers, but for the most part, they're seeing these guys and they're going to, they make it a priority to be a team that's present and they care very, very much about the draft. I mean, they are the anti-Suns when it comes to the draft. They want to be a part of the draft in many ways. And also it helps you in the future too, because if you have a scouting report and your scouts know everybody in the top 10 really well, and let's say somebody comes available via trade, you might want them. So there's a lot of reasons to uh, to continue scouting. And it's there's a lot of reasons why it's really weird that a team like Phoenix wouldn't value the draft at all. Uh, McKellie's back. Uh, McKellie, here's a question from Maybe. Ethan, Ethan Nickel 4. <laughs> if you could only have either Shea or Giddy become a... Th- a career 40% three-point shooter on eight attempts per game. Woo! Who would you choose? The player you don't choose becomes a 30% three-point um, shooter over their career. Ouch. Ouch. Who would that be, McKelly? I think that you have to go Giddy. Because okay. um, to me, if Giddy has that kind of shot, he becomes an incredible player. I mean, yeah. the only knock... Uh, on Giddy. Oh no, he's frozen. As well, the only two knocks on Giddy as a draft prospect were lead and can shoot. So if he fix one, uh, I do think that he is um, incredible. I mean, Shea had a season with 40% uh, from three mm-hmm. and, and he was a borderline all star. But for some reason, I see Giddy as having a little bit more of upside if everything pans out, just because he's 6'8", with some something that nobody in the league has besides like five players probably, which is an elite passing vision. So if he really shots 40% from three, then he is really tall version of, of uh, Jason Kidd, which is yeah. an unbelievable player. Yeah, and on that kind of volume, I mean, he's better than Kidd probably. <laughs> I, I, I Maybe not because minus yeah. the defense. You know, because Kid was a good, really good defender. Um, yeah, but but Kid was a good positional defender as well. It's not like a guy who could like really slide with with super quick guards. He was yeah. a good defender even when he was forty because he knew where to be. Hands. And I think that Josh will will achieve that. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Elephant King wants to know if the Thunder made a mistake passing on Keegan Murray at two. Yeah, of course. <laughs> why not? Like, why not having? No, I. I don't think that, the, again, when it's all said and settled from this draft in two years, it may not be uh, a terrible draft pick. It's not Marvin Bagley, um, yeah. but it could be. It could be. Yeah. Uh, this is just, it's a good reminder that don't use Summer League as your measuring stick for players, good or bad. You know, there's some players, I mean, look at Trey Mann 
had a summer league that was just kind of like, oh no, like how good is this guy? <laughs> I don't know how good Trey Man is. He wasn't good in summer league, I can tell you that. And you know, for him to have a twenty point quarter against the Boston Celtics late in the season, yeah, yeah I wouldn't have predicted that was going to happen after summer league. So don't use summer league as your measuring stick for anybody. Um, there was jubilation about the the draft that the Rockets had after summer league, and it was a good draft. But after like taking another look at it, you're like, yeah, it was it was okay. Like it was pretty good. Like getting Jalen Green was good. Everything else is kind of like, eh, I don't know. But during summer league, everybody was just falling over themselves. Um, even for Kaminga, yeah. I think people were falling over themselves. I don't know that people feel that way now because he couldn't play in the playoffs at all. Um, so we'll see. Um, at Alex underscore Bullerjack wants to know, who do you both prefer as the third option next to SGA and Giddy um, in a Kenrich, J-Dub, and, in Kenrich, J-Dub, and Dort? And are the specific roles you'd like them utilized in this season? So who do you like as kind of the third wing next to those two the most? It's too early to say. Uh, I wouldn't rule out Jeng as a third wing. Ooh, now, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I Again, I wouldn't rule him out mm-hmm. as a wing. Not as a wing that will be better than the other two this year. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that, that will be the case. But Jeng is really a wing. We don't need to think about him, about him as a power forward necessarily. Mm-hmm. He's more a guard than a power forward today. I am quite convinced of that. He was playing the two guard basically in in NBL. Yeah. Um, so, um, but among I'm, I love Kenrich. You know that I do. I mean, he is perfect for for that role, especially if his uh, three point shooting improves a little bit from last season. He was down uh, from the year before. So uh, Kenrich William that, that has like a thirty seven percent three point percentage from the corner which is not unattainable is is a very good player that I want as a mm-hmm. as a wing. Now, I don't think that he will start um but I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know who I I would probably want to see J-Dub in this role the most just because he mm-hmm. is such a multi-skilled offensive player compared to the other two. Not that the other two can't do anything on offense, but I look at J-Dub and, and think of him as somebody that can take possessions in the pick and roll. He can shoot it. Um, I, I would also just like to see those two operate with like a real shooter next to them. And mm-hmm. Kenrich is, has been a good shooter in spurts. I don't know that he's going to get the respect of a mm-hmm. shooter. Um, whereas with J-Dub, I think that he can get the respect like a real shooter. And so what does that look like? I think is a really good question because I think it'll open things up. And then defensively, it's not that inspiring. Honestly, it's going to be just like Chet's going to have to clean up everything for this crew. So I, yeah, but if you want to go all offense, why not getting like Trey man in the mix? Like I, yeah, let's just bomb yeah. from anywhere. Hey. And and if, if yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think Trey, Trey's a part of that too. I think Trey should be in that mix as well. He's he's going to get forgotten in a lot of these discussions just because he's not the new not shiny toy. Like Dort's got his new deal. We have this new guard to play around with. Like 
Kenrich has a uh, has the lunch lady hair. You know, don't don't forget about Trey. Trey's Trey's an interesting piece to all of this. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think so. Uh, at Michael McAfee, does Doris contract number suggest that he will be the starter for the foreseeable future? For me, it's hard to see him to see paying him that much more and come off the bench unless Jang or Jalen really pops. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that it means that he's the starter for the foreseeable future. No, um, that number is actually below the level of the average starter now. Uh, and it's it takes a while to like recalibrate our brains to like what an average starter gets paid. And from what I've heard, this is below that now. So I don't think that they're married to any situation, honestly, with regards to starting or who's coming off the bench or whatever. I think that there it remains to be seen. Will he start this season? Yeah, I think he will. Will he be the starter next season? I don't know. Even be on the team next year. I don't know. I, I don't think that it I don't think that a number commits you to a certain level of whatever. You know, Ennis never started and he made a lot of money for for a big man coming off the bench back then. So I think you can bring him off the bench if you need to. Just like the Celtics bring Marcus Smart off the bench as a guy who comes in and defends and will take shots. And I think that role has worked for them. And I, I think that you could see that working in Oklahoma City with him as well. So um so we'll see. I'm not I'm not married to the idea that he starts so. McKelly looks like he's deep in thought, but he's frozen. We're having extreme internet issues with McKelly today. Uh let's see. Let's go at Jake Boyle, too. Can you speak to the underrated part of Dort's deal, the fact that it keeps the philosophy that if you land in OKC, we do right by the players? I think this is very important for helping make uh, the Oklahoma City organization a place where players want to play. I I think it, it could be part of it. However... I think that you can't make all of your decisions based on that philosophy. I think that you're going to have to start making decisions for the team to get better itself and not just to help your philosophy of doing right by players. I think that that's just something that's ingrained within the organization. They're going to do right by players, but I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case here. I think this is a deal that got done because it was good for the organization and for him at the end of the day. And I don't think they were just like, whatever you want, you can have it. Um, I don't think that's how that went. Um, JJ Miller, real talk with all the shooting bigs in OKC and the possibility of Josh Giddy is closer to Joe Ingles and magic Johnson. Why not bring back Russ? Um, I don't understand the question, and um, that's they're not going to bring back Russ, which is just a fact. Um, MJ underscore Horner. Shea seems set on being the point guard. Do you think he accepts a Steph-like 
point guard role where he's off the ball as much or more than he is on the ball. Um, he's going to have to accept some role that are, that requires him to go off ball some. He can't he can't have the ball all the time, especially whenever you've got multiple ball handlers in the lineup. But the thing it's supposed to do is make life easier for him. So that, so that he doesn't have to be this like heliocentric James Harden. I have to carry everything. And then I break down in the playoffs because I don't have enough energy type of thing. So uh, using Steph as the comp is a tough one because Steph is one of a kind. So, yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily the direction that I would go with it. But think I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, you think about like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. In the way that they have to share duties, um, but you hope they're linked a little bit better. So there's not a great comp for the situation, honestly, because there's not a team that's put as many creators on the floor like Oklahoma City has. Um, okay, we're gonna take a quick break, try to figure out this situation with Kelly. We'll be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When it was time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash dunk. That's linkedin.com slash dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back after that quick break. Uh, at JD underscore Brown, uh, for each rookie, what's the most important thing that you hope to see during summer league? Uh, good question. For Chet, I mean, he's the number two pick. There's some pretty high expectations for a guy like that coming into summer league. So for Chet, you just want him to kind of hold up against the the good competition of the summer league. Uh, and just hope that he doesn't get yammed on every single game, <laughs> uh, which I don't think he will. Um, but I think that you hope to see like 10 points or more per game, getting a couple blocks here and there, showing some stuff in transition. Um, I think those are definitely things that you want to see from him. Um, with J-Dub, I think you want him to shoot the ball well. I think you want to see him playing in the pick and roll with a guy like Chet and kind of seeing how he handles that, you know, he really outperformed his peers at the combine. And so you kind of want to see more of that. 
Usman Jang, I have like zero expectations. You know, I don't know what to expect from him. Um, I I hope to see him play hard and play good on defense and and maybe try to draw some fouls from the from the dribble a little bit and then we'll see. I, I don't expect big things from him. And then Jay Will, I, I expect to see a lot of what we saw from like Jeremiah last year, where he's just like a functional player in the in like a cog in this offensive system and a good defender. I don't think we'll see a lot from him either. So really, I mean, the full expectations are going to be on J-Dub and on Chet. And they're likely going to be the ones that everything is running through in the Summer League, which could be fun. Um, I still think there's a chance that Trey plays in Summer League too, so we could see more of that as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, Pepsi United, would you rather have Trey Murphy in the Denver 23 or Jang? The Denver 23 or Jang? Uh, I mean, I'd rather have Trey Murphy than Jang right now. But we also, I mean, he's still, he's a lot younger. Jang is a lot younger than Trey Murphy. Um, but I just, I like the skill set of Trey Murphy today. So I'll say um, Trey Murphy in the Denver 23 at this point is probably what I'd ha- rather have. But who knows? It's probably unfair to Jang to say that. I think that he's obviously somebody that was well sought after in the draft. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what else to say. He wasn't my favorite player in the draft. I don't, that wasn't my favorite deal that Sam's ever done. And that's okay. It's one of those that you just wait and see. Uh, at Matt, Matt Ledford underscore. What do you think of the value is of green and favors right now? Any predictions on how those situations will shake out? I don't think they hold much value, honestly. I think they're both bench big men that are a dime a dozen. And I don't think that they're immediately helping anybody. I don't think that any team is hurting because they don't have them. So I think the most likely outcome is that they probably some get some kind of buyout and then they can go choose their team toward the end of free agency. That would be my guess. There's a chance they get traded. Yes, there is. Are they going to bring back something that's significant? No. So I would still lean toward buyout. Um, and then there's possi- There's a possibility of a trade. A trade would be much easier, especially if you can make a two or three for one trade. It would just make the, the life of the uh, Thunder general manager a little easier if that were possible. So that's kind of what I think. Um, at Michael on Sports... I know it's not always the best reflection of talent, but what are you hoping to see from the rookies and Giddy, Trey, and Poku in Summer League? So we discussed the rookies already. Giddy, Trey, and Poku are interesting. Very interesting. We will see them starting Tuesday night. They play in the Utah Summer League. They play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Alex and I will have a little recap of them. You expect to see improvement for all of those guys. I think it's important to see improvement, especially from Giddy on his jumper. I think Trey and his overall aggressiveness, I think is something that you want to see. Um, and then Poku, oh man, like Poku just needs to give us some kind of consistent play where you don't watch him and think, oh my goodness, does he need to go back to the G League? 
Like he needs to show himself as a rotation player. That's what I want to see from him. Uh, Michele, what do you want to see from Giddy, Trey, and Poku in Summer League? Oh, this is a very interesting question. Can you hear me fine? Uh, is this terrible or? Uh, it's fine. Yeah, it works. <laughs> so, um, first of all, I want to be able to watch them. Um, and uh, on the so from Trey, I really want to see him abusing his three-point uh, shot a lot. I just want him to to show us how he can easily get to his pull-up and just like be great at that uh for giddy um I, well on trey i would also love to be able to evaluate a little bit his defense but on, in summer league that is not what you are there to evaluate um so i don't think that you, you will be able to gather anything uh from that um from that standpoint from giddy of course i want to see the shot i want to see how it changed um if it's quick enough especially because i mean he used to um put the ball on his end and then let it fly with a like with a slow release i want to see if he worked on that or if it's just going in but the movement is always the same Mm -hmm. so um i'm really looking forward for that i think that this is basically the most important thing uh team wise that we will see there um with Giddy, I also want to see if he is bigger and stronger, if he looks stronger, quicker. Uh, his athletic e- evolution, uh, that is something that I, I really want to see how it goes. Because in summer league, you're basically facing NBA caliber athlete, or at least you can face elite, uh, elite yeah. Athlete, yeah. athletes. And so uh i really want to see how you compare uh with a bunch with pokushevsky i caught the last uh, few words of your uh, answer and i think that i have basically the same opinion like we need to see something consistent um we need to see him in a role uh we need to see him not freestyling every single possession and do something that is actually good in terms of basketball like can he make the, uh, the correct read uh, at a certain point during the season he was playing in a system and i want to see him in that mold be just more effective this is what i think we should expect uh from pokushevsky yeah my expectations are very low for poku <laughs> i just want to see a functional player out there and if he can do that it's great I think we'll all feel a little bit better. If he looks like a mess out there like he did in the first half of last season, it's pretty concerning. It'll be pretty concerning. Um, Mendenhall 10. Why is Usman Jang not a playmaking Darius Baisley? Um, I think the hope with Jang, and it's like playmaking is such an interesting word because it it implies a lot of things about a player. And a lot of things that make Darius different from Jang. Because in order to be a playmaker, you have to see the court in a certain way. And you have to play the game in a certain way. And that distinction is a huge one, by the way. Like a playmaking Mm -hmm. Darius Baisley is a giant distinction. It's a they are that's a they're vastly different players just because of the playmaking. If Darius could be a playmaker, it would 
he would think the game in a way where he wouldn't do the stuff that he does, like whenever he goes ISO just out of nowhere in the middle of a game, when he goes completely out of the flow of the offense. Like playmakers don't do that kind of stuff. They understand the game. They understand the flow of the offense. And I think that's something that Jang does well. Like he fit really well with what the breakers wanted him to do last year, both offensively and defensively and didn't try to prove to anybody that he was the man, even though he was like a heavily sought after teenager um, at the, in the NBL. He played, he played as a part of a system with grown men and he knew what to do. And I think I think that it needs it needs to be understood that like while Jang is like needs more experience, he's further along than Baisley and Poku were whenever the, in their progressions. He's further along than those guys are. So there's a chance that we see some Jang minutes this year and him looking okay. Like there's and the and the hope is that he's a guy that can be a decision maker with the ball a good defender and then with upside, you know? Yeah. Um, where Baisley is the thing that Baisley struggles with most is in my opinion is decision-making on both ends because you can see, you can see the gears turning a little bit too much sometimes with him and that's okay. He just has to work really hard to make things work, you know, for him and for the team on the court on both ends where I think Jang is just like a more of a natural basketball player. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I also want to stress the fact that we need to really think and assess on what is the word playmaking uh, in modern NBA. Is this making a good pass? Uh, Yeah, as well, but this is not the, the crucial point. I think that what we, we have in mind as a playmaker is a guy that is able to understand and read what is in front of him and making a play may mean a lot of different things. Um, there are guys like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry that don't play make in terms of assist necessarily. Steph does, Clay doesn't, but they are making plays with their movement uh, and they are creating space. So I think that that is also playmaking and decision-making and understanding of the game. So I think that what uh, Baisley is struggling with the most is understanding how to play in a flow that maximizes him. Um, Instead, he wants to, he tries to, and to me too many times, to maximize himself. And, and it's not good for the flow, and it's not working. Like there are there are players like T.J. Warren that are playing not inside the system, but the ball goes in to a very substantial and nice degree. And so you can say, okay, um, you're freestyling, but at least you're making it work. Um, there are players that are ball stoppers. Uh, they don't play in the flow of the game. Kawhi with the Raptors. Who cares? <laughs> like they are making shots, and so that's fine. With Baisley, when you are not efficient and you want to play on your own, it's very difficult. When I saw Jang uh, in the two games I scouted uh, for the NBL, um, he was playing in the flow of the game, and he took shots that were good shots to take, open shots. Of course, uh, you could do other things. Uh, you can 
like uh, penetrate and, and then pass the ball after. But those were good decisions. Now mm-hmm. it has to translate to the league um, because it's not a given that your understanding of Euro style basketball is going to translate into understanding NBA kind of basketball. And last thing um, about his playing time this year. I mean, Theo Maldon played his first season and his career in France was much worse than Jeng was. Yeah. Jeng was, as you mentioned, and as I think it was Rafael Barlow, uh, or I don't remember which guest said, hey, this guy, he got offers from everywhere, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I don't remember if it was Barlow or another guest. Uh, apologize if I got it wrong. But in, in any yeah, case... It was Derek I mean, Murray. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, to me, he... he like, Theo Maldon was a fine player in France. This guy was, hey, uh, I'll, I'll pay you a lot to come to the NBA, to the NBL. So I think that we should expect playing time for him. Yeah. Yeah. And one of his calling cards was defense in the NBA yeah. too. You know, he is a pretty good on-ball defender. He's not the greatest athlete, but he makes up for it with his length and his just general basketball IQ. So, yeah, if you're excited about basically swatting three three point shots, I mean, Jen can do that as well. I mean, I've saw him like swatting pull up jumpers away just because he's quite long <laughs> and he reaches quite far and he's in the, in a good position. Now, the thing, and then I'll, I'll allow you to answer the next question to, uh, to read the next question. Um, I really love the fact that he translate he transforms a little bit defensively on offense. He's not physical. On defense, he's really physical. So I really want to see that. I'm not, again, I'm not projecting anything because we, we I mean, we have to admit, we don't know how, how he will project in the league. I mean, you, you have ideas, but I love the fact that in defense he was, hey, I'm here, I'm aggressive, and I'm very, very aware of everything that is going on around me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a question from Sean Cargill. He says, do you think the new two-way signing was just to see how he does in the summer league? This, the Thunder signed guard Eugene Amagori. Uh, that, that's probably not right. Um, they signed him yesterday. He was playing the G League last year, 15, 6, and 3 for the G League. He's, he's 6, 7. He's a 25-year-old player. Um, played four years in college. Three of those are at Rutgers. And then um, has been in the G League originally from Nigeria. I know little to nothing about him. He's a mm-hmm. thick daddy. I do know that. He's a big, big dog. Um, it's not a summer league thing because you can sign somebody to your summer league roster without giving them a contract. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily that. I think obviously they have more interest in him than just that. So that I I don't know. It remains to be seen. They have signed a lot of guys to this these two way spots and just you know cut them loose. So I wouldn't read too much into it. I think they do have a level of interest in him. The level of interest is two-way interest, and that's it. I just think they they saw the way he performed in the G League, thought, okay, maybe this could work. Maybe he could be a Kenrich Williams type of wing for us. If it works out, great. You have have another one. If it doesn't, cut him loose. I don't think this is about Summer League, though. He'll probably play on the Summer League team, 
but they are going to have they're going to bring several players in on on the summer league team that you've never heard of uh, just like they brought Eugene in yesterday and we'd never heard of him so I, I do think that there is a, a it's a notch above summer league interest yeah uh, or it may be just summer league interest with other teams being interest and so you have the two way and you say hey I want I really want to see him in my system yeah um, so they may I'm not saying I'm not contradicting what you say I, I just think that hey it might be that he's going to be cut anyway after summer league yeah because totally it, possible. like it's that he stays here past summer league but maybe this is a way to say hey uh we really want to test him out uh and not just watching him on another g league team maybe he has offers and his agent play that card say hey you, you want my guy it's going to be a two-way at least for the summer yeah. and and as a team you say okay like uh or maybe it's a paul watson thing uh that end up really poorly but these mm-hmm. things are okay if they end up poorly because you yeah you, you you've missed out for half of the season of lindsey water okay yeah it's these these two-way deals are not detrimental uh remember dort was a two-way contract so you cycle through as many of these guys as you can no, they may- and and maybe they work out and maybe eugene is the next star of the oklahoma city thunder i don't know nobody knows Probably isn't, but you implying Dort is a star? No, not implying that. A lot of people, it's weird. The Dort contract is one of the weirder ones because if you act like it's okay that it happened, some people are like, "Oh my gosh, look at this guy! What a homer!" Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird deal. Dort is a, is an interesting player, um, because you can get it's a hell of a player. It's a hell of a player. Uh, it's, I don't even know what to say, honestly, about him. Uh, do you see any of sh- the footage from Shea playing with Team Canada against the Dominican Republic? Yeah. Yeah. I was about to make a very uh, nice joke when you said something and then my connection completely dropped. Oh. Uh, it, it basically took one game of Shea with that, um, with that jersey to say, hey, he's going to Toronto. Right. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> it may happen. It may very well happen. He may love that. Um, it's just, and to me, even if that happens, I mean, if if, if somehow Shay's camp tells you during the summer, hey, we want to be in Canada. Yeah. I mean, it's not the end of the world for Presti because it's going to be Pretty way good. more easy to win 19 games without Shay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just for fun, uh, what's the base level for you from Toronto? The base package that you would say, hmm. I mean, you start with Barnes, right? Of course. Barnes and two, two picks as far in the future as possible. 27 and 29? Yeah. Unprotected. Just that? Unprotected. Barnes is a lot, by the way. Like you're getting the rookie of the year, you're getting a guy that is extremely versatile. If you have Barnes and Chet, you're setting yourself up for a top ten defense for a long, long time. Um, yeah. So yeah, I do think that that 
is a is an it might be enough. Honestly, uh, I wouldn't do it. I think that getting shot creation from the guard position, like Shea, is harder to find. Um, mm-hmm. But if Shea is just like you have to trade me to the Raptors, I think that that's a a deal that's palatable, and mm-hmm. you know you're you really are hoping that you get Scoot next year because you're going to need another guard that creates at a high level. Um, or you can play four guys that are 6'10 and above. Yeah. Yeah. Play Jang at point guard. <laughs> yeah, you have <laughs> Jang, Giddy, Wimaniana, Chet, and Barnes. That's right. That is insane. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> that is something where you have all the leverage because there is absolutely no way you are doing Masai a favor. Like, it's just, right. you want him? Hey, nice. We don't have any obligation to. Um, the second part of the Shea experience with Canada is that he brought up, again, the playmaker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is, again, not an issue. Now, now, if Shea comes into the season doing the things, uh, I'm trying not to curse, that he was doing in Canada or in the second part of the season, Giddy can be as good as he wants. The ball will be in Shea's hands. Mm-hmm. When they have to share the court together, I'm sure that Giddy and Shea will find a way to have Shea as the play finisher yeah, and Josh as the play initiator. That may be, hey, I'm creating an advantage for you in less than seven seconds. You'll have the defense at your mercy in seven seconds. And then you can cook. Because I think that Giddy can do that. Yeah. Like a screen between Chet and Giddy can shift the defense on one side of the court. You give the ball to Shea with 15 on the clock and you just destroy people. So I really have zero issues with that. I don't think that will be a problem, especially, especially if Shea is a 30 point per game kind of guy. Like if that is what we will get, the Plan A is going to be the plan because, I mean, if Shea is able to average that, OKC is in a great spot and he will be extremely happy to be in the contention for the scoring title next year because if, again, Shea can do that. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things where you give the ball up so you can get it back in a better yeah. position. And that's, I mean, that's what they were trying to do. And even... Giddy had communicated that too. And Giddy's really good at that. So also they're playing the Dominican Republic. So there's it's like take it with a grain of salt, man. Yeah, he's gonna cook those guys. They're playing a zone defense that looks like a like one that you'd see at the YMCA. Like don't yeah. don't don't take a ton from it. He looks really good physically, he looks pretty impressive. And mm-hmm. He can just cook those guys. He had a 16-point quarter. Yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. And he's going to be awesome next year. I think he's going to take another leap next year, which could be really good for your predictions, McKellie. Um, He's a really good player. And the thing is, like, the Thunder value that. They give him a max contract. And they're going to put the ball in his hands. And I don't think I think that they're trying to make life easier for him by giving him players that are extremely competent next to him that know how to think the game and know how to play the game. 
And I think that Shay is a part of this plan. You know, I think that he's a part of what they're doing. I think they would have already traded him and gotten a boatload of assets for him if he wasn't. So I wouldn't worry about the trade rumors. I wouldn't worry about any of the stuff about, is he a point guard? Is he the guys? Listen, like he, and a lot of people are like, I don't know if he can be the 1A player of a championship team. Like, what are we even talking about? Like, we don't, you don't know that. He's still a really young player and hasn't been optimized yet and hasn't had great teammates yet when he's been at this level. So give it time before you decide at home, sitting on your couch, that Shea Gildas Alexander isn't the number one guy on a championship team. You don't know that. I don't know that. We have a lot to learn about who Shea's going to be with this crew and what it looks like. And like this is still, in some ways, step one because we are now getting another blue chip prospect in here that's going to change the face of everything that they've ever done here as long as Shea's been here. Yeah. And can we say something? Because I think that this is 1A on a championship team is BS argument uh, on any level about any player like there are literally five guys to me that are a one on a championship team and are the guys that actually did it i remember uh hearing hey dame lillard can be the first option on a championship team okay maybe he wasn't he isn't uh james harden harden wasn't a number one option no two option Joel Embiid is not like of course he can be of course it can happen but the point is it has to happen like uh, it's it's and it's not that you give the max only to those guys those guys are the top five player on the league right in the league those are the number one guy on a title team no one else the other guys it may happen but part of it is prove that in that moment you're able to deliver and i mean just look at the last finals i mean there were were players on one side of the court that were able to deliver in that moment Mm -hmm. and others that were not now is jason tatum a guy that can't be a number one guy on a title team no I think he can. He still has time to do it, but he's not now. Otherwise, Boston would have a title. <laughs> like it's, right. it's. I know that it's tautological to say, "Hey, if he, if he did it, then he is." But for this specific thing, I, you really have to deliver. And so, to to say that a guy that played four years in the league on teams that had no chance to get there is not one. Is yeah, of course. But he can be an All-NBA type of guy. He can be an All-Star next year. And this is why you really, really take care of those guys. And you want to build with them. Because otherwise, I think that, as you mentioned, OKC would probably have Lonzo, um, Lamella Ball instead of him. I think that that trade was really on the table for OKC. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Mobley, but I mean... I think that that package was discussed, and I'm not sure. I, I really would love to know if Shea was offered or not. Yeah, I would too. I'd like to know that too. Uh, Shea underscore yeah. media wants to know, 
I think undoubtedly the best defenders on the team next year will be Chet and Lou. But who would you rank third? It's Kenrich. Yeah. Kenrich. I don't think that Kenrich is necessarily number three. Yeah, it's it's probably Kenrich. It, it, it could be Jeremiah. You know, just as like a cog in the defensive system. He's not going to stand out in in a lot yeah. of ways, but I think that he will be, if the Thunder have a top 10 defense and it's like Chet and Jeremiah starting, I think that that's like two really, really smart defenders on the front line. Yeah. And that's a good way to start yeah. like a really good defense. So I think that it could be one of those guys. It's It's going to be somebody that's doing the little things. Honestly, like the loudest defender on the court is going to be Lou or Chet. And then it's going to depend on really solid players around them. So, yeah, it's probably one of those guys. I think that makes sense. Uh, let's see. OKC Skittles, who is more valuable to OKC as of today, Chet or Shea? Hmm. In terms of play... I think it's Shea, and it's not particularly close. Um, in terms of value, I think that Shea is probably a little bit higher, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Like, Shea, Chet is number one or number two in most of the boards. Mm-hmm. And a guaranteed top two pick has men's value. Like... It doesn't give you, get you to rent necessarily. But I think that if Chet was on the market for KD, um, he wouldn't come last as, hey, we need someone. Um, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very... It depends also the, 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 the receiving team. Like, for some team, Chet may be more valuable. For San Antonio, I think that Chet will be extremely more valuable than Shea. Yeah. Because it allowed them... Uh, it allows them to be in rebuilding mode for a little bit longer. So I don't think that you you can trade Chet to to the Spurs, but you can't do that with Shea. For Toronto, hmm, probably Shea. For a team that is want, that wants to win tomorrow, it's surely Shea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they they're both extremely valuable. Like if you were to put either of them on the trade market tomorrow, which um, you wouldn't. I, I think you can get a lot for both of them. But Shea's proven a lot in this yep. league already. So yeah, I think it's Shea, but Chet has the ceiling no. to, to be the guy. You know, he's got... Shea will do multiple picks. Yeah. 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 No doubt. Uh, okay, we're going to stop there. Uh be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're getting close to 3,000 subscribers. would love to have you guys join us on YouTube if you are just listening to this on the podcast-only feed. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I'm going to Vegas this week. So if you're going to be in Las Vegas and want to join the Athletic NBA show live, I think the plan is to do those at 2 o'clock every day from the 7th through the 11th. So if you are available to come join us on the concourse of the Thomas and Mac, we will be there. So come hang out with us. We'd love to see you. Um, especially Thunder fans, I would love to talk to any of you guys. It's going to be a really fun summer league for Thunder fans. So 
Um, would love to see you guys there. Hope you guys have a great week. Uh, happy 4th of July. And we will talk to you guys again on Wednesday.